Brian, I really appreciate your time coming on the Small Lake City podcast. Uh, our mutual friend, Josh, uh, you know, was kind of our main connection. We were just talking about how we did a PBS thing together a while ago. Um, but you and Josh are working on mental healthy fits, and I know you're doing a lot of other things. Do you want to just introduce yourself a little bit and talk about some of the main things you're doing in the community? I know you're doing a lot, but, you know, you can choose what to highlight or yeah, all uh, of it, uh, you know. Well, you know, well, thanks thanks for having me on. You yeah. Know, it's, it's, it's great to to be wanted, mm. I suppose. Um, yeah, well, I, I, like I'm Brian Higgins. I think the uh, the best way to describe me is is to steal the the Disney aspect okay. of being an Imagineer. Oh, you know, okay. So basically, I'm, I imagine things and then I engineer them into existence. I love so that. Over the course of time, you know, I've been uh, uh, an architect. I've been a graphic designer. Uh, I made false teeth and prosthetic arms and legs. Um, I have designed holograms for museums. Um, you know, I, I do film festivals. You know, it's just just anything really. But in the end, everything has a through line of finding ways to make things better to help people. Mm. So no matter what I've done, there's always been that subrouting. Yeah. You know, when I was an architect, I did commercial interiors. So I, I was at the beginning of Google offices, so interior psychology. Oh, wow. okay. So basically taking away the cubicle farms and making more open plan office spaces, you know, with yeah. bags and slides and things like right, that. So yeah. I did that across, across Europe and back home and then across the East Coast as well. And like really there was the, the as I say, the subroutine of finding ways to make things better to help people. You yeah. know, how can I in, enhance somebody's workday? Right. You know, how can I make it nicer, you know, to have pretty colors on the wall yeah. or or give them the workspace that's going to be applicable to their job function? Because back in the days, you know, when it was just a six by six cubicle and everyone had the same thing, you know, that's not going to help. It's not going to be the same type of materials and tools that an, the accounting team would use compared to the 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 legal team compared mm. to the creative team so so really I, I sort of spearheaded that aspect of 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 giving people what they need in order for them to be more efficient and therefore more happy right. at, at work and then of course false teeth is is its own thing you know <laughs> yeah. give someone false teeth so they can eat <laughs> yeah, so that's yeah. it's making their life better um, design work the non-profit work you know that's that's what all it is and then and i'm sure we'll get to this but then when i had my you know difficulties with with mental health and ptsd and homelessness and all that and and which led me to start the non-profit mental healthy fit which is films ideas and tips and it's really about shining shining a spotlight onto people's shadows you know and helping and then mapping the way to get people through those those difficulties so yeah. In a nutshell. That's awesome. I, I love to hear first that you're involved in so many things because I, I find myself being pulled in so many different areas. I mean, I have a, a main job and I've had that job for 10 years, but along that path, there's been several little offshoots of things that I do and, and enjoy doing. And for me, I always think about like, well, life is meant to be lived, right? Like mm -hmm. what's over here? What's over there? What's behind that corner? You know, like I just love to explore that sort of stuff. So it's refreshing to hear that somebody else's brain might be similar in that regard. You know, I sometimes have, you know, difficulty with so hearing somebody that's 
so focused on one thing their whole life like you really enjoy it that much or yeah. is it just like you you're able to hyper focus that well yeah uh, good for them but you know it doesn't yeah. work it doesn't well, work I, well for me i wouldn't know how else to be right you know there's many times that i've been frustrated mm. and i think why can't i just be normal <laughs> um and i always think between because again i'm i'm right brain through the roof uh, you know my yeah. left brain stayed in the womb <laughs> um and for the listeners, you know, left brain's very functional, very analytical, right brain's just creative and things like that. And, you know, sometimes when I'm struggling, like with my 401k or <laughs> or with taxes or things like that, or just like the stuff that society says we need You're to right. have in place. And it just is, it, it's, I'm just underwater yeah. when I'm trying to comprehend that type of stuff. And I always try to think, you know, do you think the, like the CPA guy who, who's just so left brain and he just loves being a CPA, do you think he ever freaks out? Think, why can't I just design a poster? That's a good question. <laughs> I That's really a good want to question. design. Yeah. Or do they just consciously think, ah, I, yeah, I'm not creative. I'll pay someone to design yeah. this flyer for me. Whereas where I should be thinking, oh, I can't do my taxes. I should just pay, you know, someone. Uh, but I, you know, it's still that problem solving aspect. It's still um, trying to cheat my way to mental health, basically. Yeah. You know, because as I said, like the dopamine, you know, it's the, it's the reward drug. So if I can solve this problem, I'm just going to be flooded with dopamine. It'll be great. Yeah, yeah. But instead, I'm just <laughs> so frustrated. So. Yeah, it's true. This catch-22 of like, okay, maybe I just need to pay somebody to do this. But then like that personal like, no, I can, I can do this. I can, yeah. I can figure this out. Yeah, it's, it's hard. I go through the same thing of like little house projects or other things like, I'm not very good at this, but. I'm going to suffer through it and make it sure. work. Yeah. 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 Uh, you mentioned that uh, part of, I don't know, what you call it, the mission of Mental Healthy Fit to, the, you know, the, the spotlight on the shadows. Would that be kind of the mission statements of Mental Healthy Fit? One of them. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> multiple missions. Hey, I get that. Yeah. The, mental health is a very complex thing, so you probably need multiple sort of areas of mission uh, mission statement. But I'm, that sort of sets off a little bit of a bell for me. So I, you probably don't know a lot about my background. As a little bit of my job. I'm a mental health therapist. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about the shadow parts of ourselves... Sometimes this discussion is about like shining a, a spotlight on that, maybe to create some light in that area. Some of this discussion is also like, can you be friends with that shadow part of yourself and like just recognize it's there and sure. let it let it be a shadow. And so I'm just kind of curious of what your thought process behind like the shadow parts of ourselves is. They, you know, they're there to be made friends with. Mm. You know. Um, like I spent so long of my my life, you know, fighting against them and, and trying to to keep them hidden. Um, and but they're really my superpower. Yeah, you know. But it's yeah. also listening to them when I when I when I hit a wall and I can't move forward anymore. You know, when I when I have to lie on the floor with concrete legs, you know, yeah. and staring at the wall. Right. I just got to do it. You right. know, there's no point fighting against it and understand that, that, you know, mental health is an illness just as much as having the flu or having COVID, whatever. you got right. to take the time. Right. And it, and that's really what the mission statement, like the genuine mission statement of Mental Healthy Fit is ending stigma, you know, allowing people the strength and giving them a spotlight to be able to stand up and say, hey, you know, I need help and, and, and I don't know. And and we really shouldn't be at the stage in in the world that when you're phoning in sick 
to work that you have to put the fake cough on. Yeah. And go, oh, oh, oh. Yeah. Or like the day before. Well, I suppose if you're planning to, <laughs> to take the day <laughs> yeah, off, like you, right. have to, you have to do the the pregame by, <laughs> oh, I think I've got a bit of a cough coming on <laughs> yeah, today. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, and like I'm self-employed, so I don't have to... You don't have to worry about you know, those aspects. But, but I certainly remember back in the days, like you'd have to phone in. I suppose now you can email or text now, but mm. uh, do you have to put the little cough emoji <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with the text? Yeah. But you would you'd phone in, you'd be like, oh, 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 I've got a bit of a cold. Right. But, you know, there's no reason why you can't phone in and say, hey, I'm, I'm down and out, you know, I'm, I've got anxiety, I'm depressed, whatever, and... I need to take a couple of days. Right. And if I take those couple of days, I'll be back full strength. Right. But if I try to push through them, right. it's going to be weeks and weeks and mm. weeks. And my productivity, my efficiency is going to go down and down and down. Um, and it's it's like we're still certainly not there. You know, there's still right. – like I, I'm amazed like because I'm very open and very conscious of of, you know, not necessarily asking for help because I have all of my support structures sure. in place. I'm always open and, and looking for more, but um, when I do talk on Facebook or talk on social media, specifically when I'm down, I used to do it a lot more, again, to get back to the dopamine, to the serotonin, mm -hmm. to get those likes, you know, hey, right. I need the people to, to interact with me and right. communicate, which I don't necessarily need anymore. Like it was the conscious knowledge of, hey, am I doing this the right way? Right. You know, am I treating Facebook as a, as a yeah. therapist, which yeah. a lot of people are, and it is great for that. You know, a lot of people should be able to talk and be vulnerable, and you're going to get complete strangers to talk back to you. You're going to get your friends to talk back to you, and and, and you're going to be able to, to move forward a little bit more. So I, I still try to communicate and be open about how I'm feeling, mm. not necessarily to get the ROI of, oh, everybody like my post, but right. to, to show that it's okay. Yeah, you know, normalize that, that it. Others should. And like people used to say that I was a canary, you know, a canary in the mine, mm -hmm. that I would be the one, you know, right. out there, you know, just sh sh sharing the, the good word to, right. to, to allow others to feel that it's okay for them right. to do it as well. So, um, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. And this all came from what is the mission statement of Mental Healthy Fit? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, which you brought in that, that stigma aspect, which which I appreciate because, you know, I, I definitely agree that we need to do a better job of ending stigma. Um, obviously, that's a very complex thing in, in itself. And I'm trying to imagine, you know, if we just took our local community, Salt Lake City community, what would our community look like? What would be different about our community if that stigma was gone? I mean, maybe some of these things like you're mentioning of being able to post on Facebook openly about mental health struggles and nobody giving you a hard time or bashing you because of that. Maybe being able to call into work and just say like, you know, mentally I need a day or two. I think maybe some of those things would signify a change in stigma. What else on your radar for that sort of topic? Um, well, because we're in in Utah and in Salt Lake, like Salt Lake is obviously different than Utah compared to the rest. Like if we were in Provo or or there are a lot of other elements to the stigmatization um, from a diversity aspect, from the the predominant religion. There's a lot of um, LGBT issues, you know, and mm. um, so stigma is not necessarily just about mental health. 
although all of those issues that, that I that I mentioned do have an element of mental health within it. Um, and I think, you know, coming from coming from Europe, you know, and then coming from the East Coast and then coming to Salt Lake, you know, it's like being in a time machine uh, <laughs> that I've, you know, gone back to, to whatever time I've gone back to. Yeah. But it is difficult to to see people like genuine adults, you know, still struggling to to be honest with themselves, you know, um, just because of the the overarching shadow of, of stigma on top of them. So yeah, that's interesting. You mentioned that, and I want to hear your perspective about that. Um, so coming from Europe to the East Coast, to what is what is that main difference? You notice so people in Europe a lot more open about this. It's easier to talk about. It's yeah, um, you know. I've been in the States for 18 years now. Okay. I've been in Salt Lake for 13, 12, 19, 12, Sorry, 13. Where, yeah. where's home, I think? Uh, Northern Ireland, Northern Belfast, Northern, Northern Ireland. Ireland. Okay. So, of course, there was, you know, the, not necessarily going to say stigmatized, but, you know, mental health just didn't exist. The same mm. as, uh, of course, it existed, but as far as, like, being able to go and get treatment or go right. and get anything, and that's really where my my you know, mental health journey begins. Because if you know about the the troubles in Northern Ireland, um, you know, with the terrorist activities and yeah. all that. Yeah. So my dad was chief inspector of the police, so oh, wow. uh, we were targeted since I was born. Right. So, you know, a lot of PTSD, a lot of conflict-based PTSD, and, you know, it didn't really arise until I, w I had been in America for a length of time, and it became... You know, because it, 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 it was existing traumatic stress. You right. know, you're just constant in hypervigilance. You're just right. living within this this uh, world of, you know, adrenaline, right. fight or flight, you know, to move forward. So it was only really when I came to America and all of that, all of those, like, triggering points had been removed. That's when the PTSD, that's when everything started to, to, to come to fruition there. Um, so it was, yeah, yeah. So the the concept of being able to to find a therapist to go anywhere to to, mm. to and that, but that was everywhere twenty years ago. Yeah, you very know, true. You know, um, there was just there was just no way that you could have talked. Well, I'm I'm I've got anxiety. You know, I'm feeling anxious about this. Or um, so. So everywhere has sort of been on that, on that journey. But then, again, coming to the East Coast, so I am. I originally came on a conflict resolution visa, okay, because of my lived experience of conflict resolution. Uh -huh. So I kind of call it like a teddy bear claw machine that would sort of pick me up and put me in conflict areas, uh -huh. and then I just had to live my life oh, in the hope yeah. that my lived experience of just getting on with things would rub off on the community that okay. were having conflict. Yeah, um, interesting, yeah. And it came about when the peace process and the ceasefire started uh, back home and young people like me who were who had just had our entire lives within that conflict, um, you know, just placed around. It was the only place that this visa existed. So so that was, that was the initial time. And before that, my brother actually had set up a, a program um, you might want to edit this because I'm going to have to do a big old sniff. <laughs> no, you're good. <laughs> no. Sorry. Um, 
so if you again back to the Northern Ireland problem for for the listeners, there was basically a civil war uh, based on sectarian elements from uh, Catholic and Protestants, mm-hmm. and there was a big old wall down the middle of Belfast called the Peace Line. All the Catholics lived on one side, all the Protestants lived on the other side, and we just never interacted apart from throwing bombs at each other. You <laughs> yeah, know, yes, uh, uh, crazy. Yeah, and um, but if you phone Northern Ireland. The phone code is 028. So my brother set up this program called 028 because that's no matter what you are, that's the base common uh, denominator. Okay. Yeah, I like that. So he worked with Tony Campolo, and Tony Campolo was the religious and spiritual advisor for the Clinton administration. Okay. So they set up this program called 028, which was kind of like a, a matchmaking service. So if you had never met a Catholic before, or you'd never met a Protestant for which 90% of the country had not. You'd, you'd just been raised to hate that the other person. Yeah, yeah. You know, which you'd never see because of right. the wall, you know? And then because of the, like there was no interbreeding, it was just, you know, everyone stays in your village for hundreds of years, you know? You can't marry a Catholic, can't marry a Protestant. So the gene pool is exactly the same. So you can pinpoint, you can tell who's a Catholic and who's a Protestant. Interesting. Yeah, it's 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 pretty amazing. Um, and you, it, it was kind of like profiling, but it was a, a safety issue. Yeah. Uh, so you would know, well, I can't talk to them. You know, I can't, right. you know, interact over there. So you would phone up 028 and you would say, hey, I've never met a Catholic before, but I want to. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to tear down the, the, the barriers. And it was mostly, you know, young people, because that's where the young generations come up and they want to, hey, I'm sick of all this. I want right. to reach my hand across the divide. And then you would say, hey, my name's Billy, and I like football, and I like films, and I like Bob Dylan. Right. Whatever. Right, whatever it is. And then they would look on the sheets and go, oh, well, we've got this guy called Sean, and he likes football, and he likes films, and he likes... Uh, the big bobber, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, not quite Bob Dylan, but right, that, you can right. still talk. Yeah, so, yeah. and then then you would go to the cafe and you would meet, and uh, you know a, a chaperone would be there initially to get you going, you know, and then and then you would you would chat away and and you would become, you know, might not become friends, but you would begin realizing, hey, you're not you're not the derogatory term that I know you are right. as. Um, and know you've got oh you've got a name and you you don't eat your babies, <laughs> you know because all these things that you're raised to believe right and it's just like any kind of conflict you know the the dehumanizing of the enemy yep you know exactly. the propaganda right and I have to say for myself like I I I can't say I fell for it hook line and sinker you know because it I'm not going to say it was like a a con man game you know it was. You know, since I was born, like I was, it was drummed into me that yeah. they're your enemy, and they're, and when I say eat their babies, I was told they eat their babies. Yeah, and I believed that. Yeah, you know, as a wee boy, and I, you know, and and all of these, these derogatory things that, that that you're raised upon, and and it was really difficult to, you know, break that from me, you know, to to reach across the divide and. and 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 I can still remember like meeting my first ever Catholic, you know, uh, and I hated them. How old were you? Um, Twenty. Oh wow! Yeah. Um, and 
and I detested them. You know, I truly had so much bile mm-hmm. within me for no reason apart from just words. You know, someone had developed this anger and this hatred and this bile. Um, well, for for part of the reason that like you were told this your whole life, mm-hmm. this was put into your brain from a very young age. Yeah, yeah, and um, but it was up to me to to break it down. You know, and I was forced to because I had to work with this guy. Okay, yeah. And, um, you know, and I, one of my other jobs, I was a clothing designer. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But before I was a clothing designer, I unloaded trucks full of clothes. Okay. Um, And I had to work on the back of a truck with this guy, with this this Catholic, with Sean. And it was just me and him in this horrible, hot, sweaty truck just unloading. And, And it was incredible how we became friends, you know, like... And and maybe like we had connective tissue, you know, we yeah. we had interest that we could, you know, communicate on that, and um, and it was it was difficult to get rid of that hatred and the bile because, you know, in my in my conflict resolution work, which which I do through creativity, because now we're in the position in America where there's a divide, like through and through, yeah, know? and. You don't have a wall right. anymore, but there is... But you feel that yeah. same sort of thing that yeah. you felt before. Sure, and and it's exactly the same. Like, um, people have been raised with words of derogatory words, right. you know, that have built up and created this blackness yeah. within them against this, you know, their, their, their so-called adversary. Right. And... The beauty of Northern Ireland that I see and the troubles, because I never thought in my wildest dreams that there ever would be peace, mm. you know? Uh, the conflict had been going on so long, and it was so fresh. Like, like I, I used to always use the, the analogy of the, the American Civil War mm. and say, okay, well, your grandpa, your great-great-grandpa might have killed my great-great-grandpa, but I never knew them, right. so I don't have that hatred um but for northern ireland like it was such a long going term yes okay your great great grandpa might have killed my great great grandpa but your brother killed my friend yesterday right so it's still very much so i'm yeah my tit for tat my my energy is still gonna i'm there you are there you are there you are and like when i say i used to use the Civil War, because there's still basically a civil war in America, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, and there's still those, that hatred and, and you know, and it's, and I, and I, and I try to, to be creative in my communication to get people to see the errors in their ways. Perspective you know, because, from the other side. Yeah, because things are only going to change when you change, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. You can't expect everybody else to change right. before it impacts you like you've got to be the one to take the first step forward yeah there's some sort of quote about like your your experience is going to be the the same until your your thinking changes mm-hmm. you know right so it's all within you and your perspective and that thinking mm-hmm. so sorry it was zero two six eight. zero two eight yeah so that ultimately worked that program worked it, to a certain it, level it worked to a certain level it yeah. doesn't exist anymore because it had got to a point where there was nothing right. no more it could do um, but it was it was it was and again back in the days when there was no internet you know it yeah. was genuinely like incredible. you had to phone yeah. somebody yeah. Um, and that Tony Campolo was into it and 
Another thing, actually, when the peace process, just before the peace process started, Bill Clinton came over, played the saxophone, and turned the Christmas lights on, <laughs> and then there was peace, yeah. you know? <laughs> Good old Bill. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, but it was cool that Tony Campolo got involved with that. Um, and, you know, and, and, it, and it worked. And my brother is still a peace activist missionary. Right. It's not a religious missionary. Um, but peace activism, and and he he travels. He writes tons of books, and he travels around, and you know does does his thing through that. That's incredible, and, and like you said, even with I can think of two you know main conflicts in our world right now. Our our country one, like you're saying, there feels like there's a pretty big division line right right down the middle. Could this same sort of simple model of like, hey, I'm I'm ready to talk to. Uh, a progressive or, a, yeah. you know, I'm ready to talk to a conservative, of course. Cook, hook me up. Or Ukrainian and Russian, I'm like, I'm, maybe that one's not as cut and dry because, you know, I think Putin has a lot of power to make a lot of those decisions. But, like, I think a, a lot of people in Russia were fed similar sort of sure. propaganda about who the Ukrainians were and why we need to invade. So, like, hey, what if you phoned up a Ukraine and had a conversation with them, you know, those yeah. sort of things. It could go miles, really. For sure. And that's, as I mentioned with Northern Ireland, uh, when I thought that there would never be peace in my lifetime because it was so there, you know, and and in the end there was. And we can look at it as a science experiment. There's a, one of the one of the talks that I do, one of the presentations, you know, I this is I sort of look at it as a science experiment and I dress up in a white coat and I pretend like I'm Bill Nye, the science guy, <laughs> you know, talking about this and because Northern Ireland is really so small on the world scale of things. Yeah. You know, so minuscule. Um, but if we look at the the population and the ratio of the population from the world-class talent that has come out of Northern Ireland uh, is, you know, the ratio of that is pretty incredible. So we've got, you know, Liam Neeson, um, U2, uh, Van Morrison, tons and tons of sports stars and on and on Kenneth right. Branagh on and on and on right. and they were all raised during the conflict during the hardcore conflict so they had to make a decision you know okay I'm pretty angry about this you know my mates are getting killed this is a terrible time what am I going to do I'm going to I could pick up a gun I could get a bomb and go out and attack or I could create something you know or I could put my energy into being creative and and they did you know, and and that's one thing that I, I see the conflict is you know, creativity is always going to get over um, negativity and destruction. But so from a science perspective aspect, because there's only you know white Catholic and Protestants, yeah, no other, no, right. there is more racial diversity now. And but back back in before the peace process, that was it. It was white Catholic and Protestants. Everyone lives on this side of the wall, and everyone lives on that side of the wall. So it is a science experiment, right? You know, it you've got your control. There is no influence that could ruin the the science experiment by yeah. like adding in. So so it's a great model to be able to say, okay, these two opposing neutrons, basically mm -hmm. from opposite sides. What would happen if we actually lifted up the divider and let them mix? Right. You know, yeah. Um, whatever, Einstein or somebody, and then creating the the so Catholic plus Protestant minus 
divide right. equals peace. Right. Yeah. You know, and that's a that that's a simplified scientific model that can be can be implemented across the world. You know, which is I completely agree. Which is kind of crazy because we we don't take these simple measures sometimes, and it almost feels like to me. I get down in the dumps a little bit about feeling like that there's these bigger, greater forces that are trying to do exactly that opposite. They're trying to put more walls and more things between us. Mm -hmm. And, it, you know, then it takes, you know, maybe a small conversation between people uh, or these bigger zero to eight experiments to, to make that difference. But I don't know. Hey, sure. do you, how do you feel about just the implementation of like simple things like this in across the world and how little of it I, I seemingly see, but maybe I'm just being a little bit more pessimistic than okay. I should. Well, let, uh, if you answer this. Okay, okay, yeah, I like this. So in America, uh -huh. well, I just, uh, I'll, I'll hit you with my, with my joke that okay. just came in, but in America from what would you say would be the equivalent of 028? <coughs> like what would you say Every American has a base common denominator. Yeah, that's that's true. That's a hard one. I don't know. It's definitely not as cut and dry as Catholic Protestant for sure. Especially, you know, we're. I mean, it, the closest thing would probably be uh, just left or right uh, in terms of politics, right? Well, yeah, but that's the that's, that's the divide, though. Right. But what is the base common denominator that you could get the red and blue to decide? Yeah, we are the same. You know, even mm. though we, we're totally, we think right. we're totally different, but what is the one thing that, apart from being human, whatever? Or, right, yeah, yeah, I don't know, I was gonna go there next. We're human? Um, I don't know. Yeah, because even like you look at American sports teams, you know, the, it is so antagonistic, yeah. and so violent. <laughs> it's true, um, especially the football, right? American yeah. football. Yeah. yeah, and from even from the actual playing of the game, it's very violent. And then you look at even BYU versus the U, and they call it a war. It's the holy the war. The holy war, right? And so it's all those little elements that you're still sort of bringing into, you know, you know, you're creating this enemy and this adversity. So yeah. And uh, this goes back to some of that, maybe where we kind of started, some of the stigma psychology portion of this, of like literally the way that you're brought up to think about something or another person can go such a long way. You know, you talked about 20 years before you met somebody that was different from you and really having to like wrap your mind around it and being forced to be in a, a sweaty, hardworking truck was the thing that really, you know, maybe brought you to have that experience and me I grew up here in Utah and grew up in Orem Utah County grew up Mormon so I was very much like a part of a very tight-knit Mormon community as well and it wasn't until I got out of that community and really pushed myself to travel meet other people challenge my perceptions that I just like now realized that like some of that narrative that I was getting told was like not accurate <laughs> you know, and it, would, it was a little bit of like a, an epiphany, like, whoa, you know, like, yeah, it makes sense that this wouldn't be that way. But why, why was I so caught for such a long time? Hmm. It's hard. Yeah, it's, it's, it's no easy answer. And uh, the nuance of these discussions and like the challenging of the assumptions of all of these things, I'd, uh, for me, that I think that if I were to 
kind of go back to one thing that helped me beyond this would be just to experience more of life to experience what's around the corner to experience like my curiosity in general because it pushed me into these areas that was not comfortable didn't know anything about but once i had an experience it's usually 99 percent of times like oh you know this wasn't as bad or as scary or as whatever as i thought it was going to be yeah for sure and again that's to back to mental healthy fit the creativity you know, it's, it's allowing people to, to experience these difficulties in a safe space. Right. You know, creating a fictional character and making them go through those hurdles and difficulties so that when they arise in their own lives, you know, it's going to be hopefully easier for them to get over. So, Do you feel like that creativity, though, takes a backseat when mental health or, you know, like you said, like, People were too busy maybe throwing bombs at each other, so they had no time to create, and maybe some of these others did make the time to create. So I don't know. It almost seems like creativity takes a back seat. In fact, one of my previous guests said that, like, hey, if we were not in conflict and not always trying to fight each other and not at war, that's exactly what we'd be doing. We'd be creating, creating art, creating music, loving each other more. Mm-hmm. And I'm just kind of curious. It's like... It's kind of like the chicken or an egg, right? It seems like you, we have to have peace before we can cre- be creative, you know? Like, I know, but, like, it almost feels like that way sometimes. Well, the the nature of nature, you know, there has to be opposite, you know, mm-hmm. to push against each other. So there's always going to be uh, destruction, uh, and creativity has to sort of balance it out. And that's really where we have to get to is try to, like, push against that but the difficulty is you know creative people are more sort of introverted compared to the, yeah, the destructive true. ones or the you know the the extroverts that are gonna push and push and push and push and push and it's it's a it's a difficult question but um again just as nature just as like the you know in the end when the human race does its thing and and extincts itself the world's still going to go on, you know, there's right. still, you know, trees are still going to grow, um, you know, all these different elements and they're all going to, to grow in, in, in concert with each other. You know, the moss is going to be there, the trees are going to be there, the, the animals are still going to be there, whatever. And, you know, the forest blooms and exists because of every piece, mm. you know, every piece of the puzzle is there. Mm-hmm. And, humans are no different you know um and it's just it's just it's just difficult so one of one of the kind of like meaning of life analogies that i have is uh i'll have to see if i can get it right um if everybody who wanted to be a rock star could be a rock star the world would end Hmm. Uh, as we were initially talking about being a guitarist, you know, yeah, of course yeah. I wanted to be Slash, you <laughs> yeah, know, as a wee boy, but <laughs> my fingers just wouldn't work. Yeah. Uh, and, but Slash can be Slash. Slash can be nothing else but Slash. Yeah. You know, he was born to be this virtuoso. And everyone is born to be their their own little piece of the puzzle. And if we can take the time to really focus on that and and work out what we 
are born to be, then we'll all fit into our piece and everything will work out. But unfortunately, everybody wants to be a rock star, <laughs> you know? Uh, and either they want to be a rock star or their parents want them to be a rock star, <laughs> yeah, you know? That's a good point. And yeah. when I say being a rock, they could be the, to be a surgeon, whatever. Right. And, you Professional know, for, athlete, whatever. Yeah, yeah. For all the want in the world, I could never be a surgeon. Mm. Like, it's just not right. there for right. me. Right, right. Um, so, you know, just like the forest, we all have to... Like, the, again, the oak tree might really want to be a gorilla. But they're never going to be a gorilla. <laughs> so they just should... Except should concentrate being, on being the best oak tree they yeah, can be. Except being the biggest, best oak tree that they can. Yeah, and providing all the shade and all this stuff. And mm. and and unfortunately, as I say, as a human, as a human oak tree, we can try our hardest to be a gorilla, but just never get there. That's true. You know. That's true. So I think that's part of the the beauty in life's journey is going through that struggle a little bit, right? Like to recognize that, like, okay. <laughs> like you know, surgeon is not going to work out for me. You know what? What can work out for me? Like to go on that journey and be honest with yourself and really find what you're all about and have that relationship with you. And that relationship with you is a is a big component in mental health, at least from my perspective. You know, like getting that relationship, working it out, figuring out who you are, and recognizing that life's. It can be a long journey, you know. The things are going to change. Lots of variables are going to come in. How how can you handle it? Sure. Yep. Yeah. So if we we're to go back to like the the mental health part of this, you know, part of the reducing stigma or ending stigma is not saying that we're going to get rid of mental health problems. We're always going to have mental health problems, mm-hmm. challenges. I should probably say rather than problems, mental health challenges within ourselves, within our communities. They're always going to be there. But if we can change the way we uh, look at them, change how we respond as individuals, as communities, I think that's. I think that's probably maybe part of what you're trying to say. Then the rest will change, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I really like that. And I think that's super important. And I, you know, I. I think we're making pretty good progress. Um, I don't know what. How would you account our our progress and our maybe meaning our our general community here in Salt Lake? Well, certainly making progress. You know, um, still a long way to go, yeah. and it's it, you know it's of course with the pandemic, you know, mental health came to the forefront, mm-hmm. and. You know, for one benefit of the pandemic we can look at is, you know, the mental health aspect that people started paying attention. Yeah, that's you true. You know, uh, everybody across the world has experienced uh, a mental health challenge in the past two years. And a lot of them were like, well, what do I do about it? How do I find, how do I access? And realizing, hey, there is no elements here. So, of course, a lot of the upper echelons of society suddenly experience this for the first ever time. Mm. Um, so things are sort of changing at the top right. level, um, but the top level moves very slowly. Right. And there's kind of like a, a juggernaut now of the top, you know, rushing forward, pushing forward. And having the conversations that the smaller people were having 
five years mm-hmm. ago, mm-hmm. and you know it's 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 a difficult thing to look at, you know. Um, so, so these top folks, maybe the people with more wealth and privilege at the top of society, but are you also speaking about those in power in terms of government as well? Um, yeah, I yeah. would say so. You know, um, you know, but there's a lot of like it's a hot button topic, so it's more just like let's let's just say these words, right? But yeah. not actually do anything. Yeah. About them, um, it's usually how government is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, very very slow moving. But um, one of the things that I've that I've seen that's happening around you know Utah in general, there's um, you know a larger juggernaut that's that's behind the times. I'll say, um, but they're not listening. You know, they've got their fingers in their ears because suddenly they have come up with this idea that no one else supposedly had ever come up with right um and they're sort of steamrolling the the work that's already been done that that is a very challenging thing in in terms of collaborative work yeah in terms of having somebody with more influence and resource to come is that they probably haven't experienced these sort of things the same way that the the vast majority that need that extra support have. And so, like you said, you can create these challenges of like, well, s- slow down. Like we love your, your energy, but we might need some of your energy to just listen for a minute to, to kind of do some assessment of what, what the situation is. Yep. So would that in the practical sense of, of this, would that mean that like folks like yourself, you know, maybe folks like me who are therapists and folks that are been advocating for mental health, if we got an audience of the right people to listen, is that like making a list of like, these are the right people we need to listen to these messages? Or I, these are, these are, this is how my brain works is like, I'm, if we were to make a practical, like big push and move, what would that, what would it look like? Uh, um, <clears throat> As far as getting the right people to listen, it's you know that's that's the 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 flag that I fly every day, mm. you know, because in the end money talks, you know, yeah. and where who are the right people, you know, are you the right person just because you are independently wealthy, you know, and yeah, you've you've never had to want for anything, you've never had to push for anything, you've never had, you've just, you're independently wealthy and you've got everything. So you, in America, you know, you've been risen to, well, let's let's give you a platform. Yeah. Um, but really, do you know anything? Do you have any, are you academic? Do you have any, you know, it's, um, but of course, money is power in America and you need money to move forward. And with mental healthy, like it's it's mostly been a service project, you know, the their budget is pretty minuscule. Mm. But the passion is there and the passion to keep driving forward and, and creating the impact that we do from a different perspective. Um, but I like I, I, I couldn't even tell well, um Richard Branson. Mm. Um so I've always respected Richard Branson. Okay. Because he's self-made. Yeah. You know, 
He started, and for the listeners, Richard Branson owned, started Virgin, uh, Virgin Record Store uh, back in the days, and, and then Virgin Airways is still around, and uh, lots of different things. So um, he was self-made, you know, he, he started selling records out the back of his car, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and then he, you know, he, he released, uh, like Virgin Records, he did Tubular Bells, which is a wonderful uh, progressive album, uh, and then also signed the Sex Pistols yeah. um, in, the, in the days. But anyway, so um, in the 80s, and, and then he went, he built a balloon, and he flew around the world, <laughs> yeah, and he did yeah, all I this. Really, I vaguely remember uh, that, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he did all this, like, cool adventure, like, billionaire things. Yeah. Uh, and he's, he's, I think he's gone to space by now. I think so, too, yeah. yeah. He flew, um, yeah, yeah. To the edge or whatever yeah. they consider space, yeah. Um, but he, in the late 80s and, and early 90s, you know, with the with Ethiopia and all these, like, world uh, disasters and things were coming through. So he owned an island in the Caribbean, uh-huh. somewhere fancy. And every year he would put together a, a group of not world leaders, but world thought leaders, you know? And so he would have like Archbishop Desmond Tutu, you um, would have Stephen Hawking, you know, he would have, and it wasn't like, well, you're, you're the prime minister, so you're gonna come, you know? Right. It was like, what are you, who are you, you know, are you changing from within, you know, and, and, and things like that. And he based it on the, it, like in the, in the old African villages where the elders of the village would run the, you know, they would get together and, and say, oh, should we go to war, you know, or right. should we, how are we going to work out the harvest? How are we going yeah. And it was the elders of all, that, like, realizing, well, you've had the, the life experience to, to, to know this. So, so that's what he would do. He would get all these people together and he'd take them off to his island for a week and they would just present like a think tank. Well, here's, you know, a famine that's going on in Ethiopia. Here's, you know, whatever. And, and just see what they could come up with as, as thought leaders. Um, and so I, I, I respect Branson for doing that. You know, but again, then it's the difficulty. Well, now do we have to get into government? Where's the real change yeah. going to come from? But, yeah. But as far as change in 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 mental health, like the the community awareness, the personal awareness, the 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 understanding that it is okay to ask for help. But then where do we find the help? Are there enough resources yeah. out there? Um, can you get an appointment? Can, um, you know, there, there's so many things that have to have to be in place, but but really the, the, the 100% change that you can do right this very second is is ask for help if you, if, if you need to. Like there's a, another tagline that we use in, in Mental Healthy Fit is, if someone seems different, find out why. Mm. And if you feel different, ask for help. Yeah, and I like that's, that. that's something that you can do right this very second, you know, and and start moving forward. Yeah. And there are resources out there. 
you know, and and organizations like like ours and and others can get you if you're in crisis. You know, there's there's always a, a you know there's always a, an option to 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 move forward. Yeah, you know. Um, and the more people that can do that, the more people we can move forward. And there's, there's, there's hundreds of organisations like myself and Josh that are that are doing their thing within those realms. Like uh, Rock Camp just just happened. Um, it's not going to help your listeners because it'll be finished by the time we're done. But sure, but good but, to know about these sort of things. But, but, but Rock Camp is a. It used to be called Rock Camp for Girls, um, but they changed just the you know to be in, inclusive. So it's really just any female presenting non-binary um, youth mm. can mm-hmm. can can take part in this. And it was last weekend, and you you pop along, and then you learn how to be in a rock band. Mm. You know, everyone gets that's awesome. Like gets put into a rock band, so you got the. You know, drummers, guitarists, and you don't have to have any musical ability because, like, again, look at the Sex Pistols, look at the punk. You yeah, know? yeah. Punk is just making noise. Right. You know, having an exp- having an emotion and wanting to express it. Yeah. So, so last weekend they all got together and they all write their song over the course of a weekend, and actually this weekend, this Saturday at the Commonwealth Room, they all get to perform. Oh wow! And that's, that's awesome. open to the public, and you can go and see all these kids singing down down with the system yeah, and stuff like yeah, that yeah. which is amazing you know and, and just watching that because a lot of these kids that are taking advantage of that are you know have, especially from the the LGBT community you know there's so much adversity and discrimination and difficulties that they've experienced especially in, in Utah you know and to be able to to get up and, and shout and sing about it um, is is an incredible thing, right? And it, it's it's kind of like a like a Trojan horse for mental health, you know, because a lot of people think the traditional forms of let's go to therapy, let's get on medication, let's you know, and of course those things are important, but all of the other little community based finding your people, finding. Um, you know, someone that that connect to that you can, you know, begin building, building strength with, yeah, uh, is important. Right. And there's tons of there's tons of organisations that are out there that that are inclusive and and bring people in and and you know that's what Mental Healthy Fit does. You know, we're we're doing creative, we're doing concerts, we're doing film festivals, we're doing art projects. You know, to to, to bring people in from a from a creative standpoint that they can interact with themselves with the group and then learn about mental health you know and and um you know keep keep moving forward so which which i really appreciate because i've seen the the fruits of that on a few different levels and josh working with some of the the youth that that josh and i were working with to to make films and to be a part of the film festivals and just seeing some some short snippets of you know, a very short documentary film or creative film where they're just making it about 
what their perception is of mental health or what their perception is of their their current situation. I think that really gave uh, these youth a voice. And a lot of these youth that I'm speaking about are coming from refugee or immigrant backgrounds. So, you know, they they experience another layer of mental health of trying to come into a community and fit in and figure out who am I, you know, I've come to a new country and you, I, I haven't experienced that, but you've experienced that as well, coming to a new country, figuring that all out and, you know, having a creative platform to do that, I, I really appreciate. It seems like the the most recent couple of things that you worked on uh, were a book and a, a film uh, about homelessness here in Salt Lake. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched the the film. It was great. Uh, it was very like on the ground. You know, you were talking to to folks who were, were experiencing or had experienced homelessness, and seeing them in their environment, seeing what they're all about. I think it was very important for me to see because you know I I see what I see as I drive or ride my bike or whatever. But to to hear a voice, to to see the personality behind that, so it really made a difference for me. And I imagine that was part of the the goal for that. But what was what were some of the other big things that you were trying to push out there with that film? Well, so I was homeless for about eighteen months, eighteen okay. months to two years. Uh, when I, when my, you know, PTSD, my addiction, my other mental health issues really just took over, um, and you know, crushed me, and I had nowhere to go but the streets, you know, and and. Then, you know, the addiction, the addiction had already taken over, but it just really took hold. And, sure. and there was really no, I, I couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, so, so I had, you know, personal lived experience of homelessness and, and how did I get out of it and how did I become whatever I am today? So I, Governor Cox asked if I would be on the uh, Utah Homeless Action Council for lived experience. Because there's the human humanistic side that is forgotten about from the government level. It's very much like it's just statistics, right? You know, and it's just very much, hey, we'll just we need more shelters. Yeah, you know, there's, yeah. it's just it's just very much, it's the equation, right? Like, if we have more shelters, there'll be no more homeless people. Yeah, uh, type thing. There's yeah. they don't look at the wraparound services. They don't look right. at all those other elements. So. Um, when I was put on the council, that was very. It was difficult for me to sit and listen to that type yeah, of thing. And sure. It was the first time I'm that sure. I'd ever been. Yeah. In, uh, you know, it is. It's a political thing, you right. know. And NPR phoned me um, when I when I was announced. They said, "Looking at this list, you're the only real person that's on this council." <laughs> and everyone else is a mayor. Everyone else is, you know, politician or has some kind of lobbyist and right and I said okay well okay well, let's see what I can do about this um, and I try to speak up and it is difficult because it's still very much let's 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 argue back and forward yeah. and let's let's have the last word you know who could be louder yeah. yeah and from the mayor standpoint versus the mayor blah 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 so so I try to you know and I thought well why do I make a film you know why don't I you know try to be visceral in the communication mm, you know like that. to to show them so they can feel what it's like and so my concept for homelessness my concept for anything is is through storytelling yeah. you know it's beginning middle and end 
and especially with mental health with homelessness how are we going to end homelessness you know how are we going to fix the issues that are there so we want to stop it before it begins I like and that, that means education communication getting into schools getting into talking to youth communicating about the difficulties because you don't just become homeless you know right you know, there's there's the, the the substance misuse elements. There's the 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 mental health elements. There's also the 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 affordability. You know, if you're on yeah. if you're on disability, you can't afford to pay rent. Yeah, you know, if you're crazy, on right? social security, you can't afford to pay rent. So right. you are situationally homeless. Right. Uh, but there's so there's so many elements. So we want to we want to educate the youth. And, and the communities as a whole, so that when, if homelessness ever presents itself, they are aware, okay, well, where do I go for services, you know? Uh, uh, hopefully, homelessness hasn't risen because of mental health issues. You know, they've been able to understand, okay, let's get into treatment, let's work this out, uh, so it doesn't, you know, knock them, you know, knock them, knock them, knock them over. Um, then the the middle so beginning middle and end so the middle is all about resources for people that are experiencing homelessness right now mm. you know how do we get them into uh, sustainable housing how do we maintain their sustainable housing how do we you know diagnosis medication all of this and and, and things like that and then the end is people like me that have, have moved on you know there still has to be a level of aftercare you know, there still has to be resources for for myself, uh, so that I don't return to homelessness because I could, mm. you know. And it was one thing when when I did the screening and we had Wayne Niederhauser, who's the who was the 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 speaker of the set or something. I, right. Again, he's politics. Anyway, Polit- he was pretty big in the, in, yeah. in the politicking world. Right. And. You know, and I, and now he's the head of the the homeless council. Great guy, you know, and hopefully we can very personable. But you know, he mentioned he said you know that he will never be homeless. Like so, he could not understand. He couldn't. He had no empathy. He had no right. understanding because he could never be homeless. And right. He was like, oh, come on. Yeah. Like okay, you're you're wealthy. You've got you've had this, but you could be homeless. Like right. every single person could be homeless. Yeah. I never thought I'd be homeless. Right. And it happened, you know. Right. And then once I was there, it was just perpetual. Right. And it just kept going and going and going, and it, it ended up lasting a year and a half, you know. Yeah. Um, so beginning, middle, and end, like simplified stuff, and and with the storytelling, with the video, with the film, it's visceral, you know, and. There is a there's a there's a, a particular individual his name's Jeremy that is in the film you know and we shot this during the winter so it was very cold you know and and he was you know living outside and and he had a little blowtorch that he would yeah I remember that you know just fire the blowtorch out and I remember when me and Josh were there filming this and then suddenly he gets the blowtorch out and he just starts on his feet. And we're and that was the thing. Wow, this is this is one. This is really happening. And that's the difficulty when you're filming something. You've got a sort of barrier, and you're like, well, the camera's sort of we're not really here, right? You know, yeah. and it was difficult. And so again, the visceral element. So if we can, I should say, back to the old 
the callback to who do we need to talk to? Who do we need to like? We need to show that film to you know the the the, the upper echelons. Yeah. Say, look, there is a guy under the bridge setting his feet on fire <laughs> yeah. to literally, stay warm. Literally stay warm and survive the winter. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. that that is out because nobody. You wouldn't even have that in your mindset. No, really. Yeah. Like, why, yeah. Exactly. Um, and and that's the power. Like picture speaks a thousand words. And there's not one person that cannot have empathy for Jeremy under that bridge. And so we do have the the opportunity with this film to get some momentum going before the winter comes around again. Right. You know? And and and, and, and try to influence change yeah. on that level. But again, that's again the beauty of film is, is is it pulls the emotions out of you. So I love it. Yeah, and that's kind of like what I was trying to say. That's the emotions I I felt as well as I watched that to kind of again bring back that human element, humanize these folks that are experiencing this. And it's so easy to uh, not humanize them as you're riding past or walking past, but you know to to sit down on a film and maybe that's a bit more comfortable for people to start to sit down in a film sort of setting and see what this is all about and then maybe that will lead to a couple more steps of actually getting to know somebody that's homeless and mm-hmm. physically helping them and all, and all of that and film is a great element to do that and you know podcasting this audio version of, you know I think this is a great way to do that as well and so I'll put that put that out there right now that like you know if there's an opportunity for me to uh, have somebody on the podcast that's currently experiencing homelessness that wants to talk about their story. Maybe, you know, of course, me and you can connect offline to discuss that, but I think that would be another great element to get a, a voice out in the community to, for people to hear that voice as well. Yeah. Sure. That's awesome. I know if we're reaching close to the end of our time because I know you got to go pick up your son and do the, the dad duties, which are maybe above all the other duties that we've uh, talked about today. So, mm-hmm. But I, I really appreciate your time and appreciate sharing your experience, your history, your expertise, all of that. Uh, a part of me now wants to just go and like deep dive in Northern Ireland because <laughs> some of those things you said to me are just mind-blowing fascinating yeah. uh, all of it's very interesting that we discussed so I really appreciate your time and of course I'll give you the last say if there's anything else that you want to put out in there to the community ways to contact you ways to get involved anything like that um, just to reiterate uh, you know the two hardest questions to ask is I don't know when I need help I love and, that and you know if someone seems different find out why and if, if you feel different ask for help I love that I think we all have that intuition in us that we recognize somebody seems different sometimes we're a little scared to to ask why or to to investigate so i i love that let's push that out there thank you so much brian we'll have to do this again uh, again in the future to explore more areas but i really appreciate your time wonderful thank you thanks everyone